Hello and welcome to season one of Romance with Heart and Heat, your podcast and YouTube show for contemporary rom-com audiobook serials. My name is Marie Matthew and I'm the author of the stories you're going to hear on this channel. The title of season one is The Bad Girl List and this is a fake dating second chance rom-com set in California wine country. Find out how one life-changing vacation list puts the heart of Dominique Chen on the line when she meets sexy wine grower Trevor Moretti. The content of this channel is intended for audience members that are 18 years and older. There is some explicit content on this channel. There is light swearing and there are some explicit spicy scenes. So I don't want any surprises as people move into the story so you have been warned. Be sure to stick around at the end of each episode for author commentary. And if you have any questions or comments, you can drop them into the comments section in YouTube, or you can also send me an email at romancingmarie at gmail.com. I'll do my best to answer questions and comments in future episodes on the show. Please like and subscribe to my channel on your favorite platform, whatever that happens to be. And please help me spread the word and share the show with your friends. Now, as you're listening along, if you get to the point where the tension's too much and you just can't wait to find out what happens next, you can head over to mariematthew.com and you can purchase the complete season of The Bad Girl List over on my website. It's available in ebook format, audiobook format, and there's also autographed hardbacks and paperbacks. So you will get the entire season for free on YouTube and the podcast. But again, if you just can't wait, head over to mariematthew.com. Thanks so much for listening. And now it's time for some romance with heart and heat. I hope you enjoy. Chapter 27. Rejection. Dominique. I wake up feeling sick, my body tangled with emotions. I feel rejected, sad, confused, and if I'm being completely honest, a little pissed off. I don't know exactly why Trevor had been so angry when he saw my tattoo, but I can guess. Something about it reminded him of L, and not in a good way. I'm such an idiot, I whisper, staring up at the ceiling. I didn't agree to the bad girl list to get my heart stomped on. Yet despite knowing Trevor is emotionally unavailable, I let myself get caught up in him. I let myself hope he'd be my number 10. I won't make the same mistake again, I tell the ceiling. I almost fucked a girl. Annika opens her eyes and sits up in bed, leaning back against her pillows. I clear my throat trying to shake off my glum mood. I never saw that coming. Neither did I. She huffs, turning to look at me. This is why I need to stay away from guys like Thomas. Even when I'm not dating him, I still end up in a three-way with him. What is it about me that attracts guys like him? You're fun, I suggest. Open-minded? Experimental? Don't remind me, Annika says. The cherry chapstick song is cute, but it's not my thing. She shakes her head. No, that's not it. A few years ago, a threesome in a pool cabana would have been an aspiration. But I don't want casual hookups anymore. I want something real. Well, I try to think of something to say to cheer her up. Maybe we both need a bad girl list. How about we use this vacation as a way to go crazy, then we button things up and get our lives straightened out when we get back to San Francisco? Yeah. Annika nods as she turns this over. That's a good idea. If I do something outrageous when we go out tonight, I won't beat myself up over it. She gives me a grin, my cousin's usual good humor returning to her. Her attention narrows on me. You okay, cuz? After Trevor's behavior on the way back to the Tesla, it had been glaringly obvious that something had happened between us. I'd spilled my guts to Annika as soon as we parted ways with the others. My brief fling with Trevor had been even hotter than I'd imagined it could be. It was a surprise to see that, for all his sweetness, he has what I can only describe as an animalistic side. Being finger-fucked in the woods was 10,000 light-years away from anything I'd ever done with Oliver. 
I shouldn't feel sad, but I do. I look at Annika. Do you think I'm an idiot? The only idiot is Trevor Moretti, Annika says. You are awesome. Any guy would be lucky to have you. He's not an idiot. He's still grieving. Annika hadn't seen the pictures in Trevor's bungalow, hadn't seen his beaming smile when he stood beside Elle. She hadn't seen him cry when he talked about how she had died. You're too forgiving, Annika says. He's the one who came after you, remember? He asked you on a fake date. Skyview Villa was his idea, and he offered to help you with the bad girl list. She shakes her head. The guy is massively confused. My phone pings with a text message. My stomach does an annoying flip-flop when I see it's from Trevor. Sorry about last night, he writes. I'm not going to be able to help you with your list anymore. I'm sorry. Have a nice vacation. The heaviness in my stomach grows as I read each word. I experience a combination of embarrassment and dejection. This is even worse than being ghosted. This is flat-out rejection. Who apologizes for finger-banging a girl like a porn star? Annika mutters. What an idiot. Sorry, Dom. I read his text three more times. The ellipses pop on and off at the bottom of the screen before finally disappearing altogether. Apparently, he has nothing else to say to me. Well, screw him. I delete all his messages so I don't have to see his name. I get out of bed, determined to enjoy the rest of my vacation and to forget all about Trevor Moretti. What's on the schedule for today, I ask. We were supposed to go antique shopping, Annika says, but did you notice how late everyone got home last night? The aunties had lost their bet with Gramps Moretti and his old-timer friends two nights ago. They had promptly challenged the guys to a rematch last night. They'd been so fired up over their win and free dinner at the buffet, they hadn't even noticed Annika and I smelled like chlorine and weed when we came home. Think they might be sleeping off all that rich food from the buffet, I ask. Annika snickers. I think they hit the wine bar pretty hard with the old-timers. You and I should cook breakfast today. What are you doing? I straighten, pulling out a slinky dress from one of Annika's piles on the floor. It looks like something she would wear to a San Francisco nightclub. It's karaoke night. Another pang goes through me as I say this. Trevor was supposed to take me to Zeke's. Tonight, I want to go out and have fun. I want to forget about Trevor and number 10 and enjoy my vacation. Can I wear this? I hold up the dress. There is nothing like looking sexy to shake off a bad date. Annika jumps out of bed and grabs the plastic garbage bag she'd brought with all her shoes. You know you need cute shoes for that, right? How about these? She pulls out a pair of strappy three-inch heels. No way, I say. I plan to get drunk tonight. The last thing I want to do is fall off the karaoke stage. Do you have any cute flats? Buzzkill. Annika rolls her eyes but digs around in her bag. How about these? She holds up a pair of simple patent leather black sandals. They have a one-inch heel that I can definitely handle. Those are perfect. Think I should wear makeup tonight? Definitely, Annika says. I know you don't like makeup but when you do your eyes, you're irresistible. I run my fingers through my hair, looking at myself in the mirror. I'm going to make sure I look hot for karaoke tonight, and after several rounds of cocktails and bad singing, maybe I'll be able to get Trevor Moretti out of my system. Chapter 28. Karaoke. Dominique. I walk into Zeke's with my chin up and my shoulders back determined to have fun tonight. With me are Annika and Thomas. Minnie is at the bar. First round is on me, I say, making a beeline to Minnie. The slinky dress rubs against me as I walk, reminding me of just how much I hate tight clothes. My determination to look hot outweighs my dislike of the clothing. Hey doll, Minnie says, grinning as she catches sight of me. Cosmo? Yes, I reply. And mojitos for Thomas and Annika. First order of business is to start getting drunk. Alcohol can only make tonight better. Coming right up, Minnie eyes me through her thick lashes and heavy makeup. Hates Dom right, says a new voice. I turn around. Standing in front of me is Kevin Durham, Trevor's flirty friend that we met at Platitude a few nights ago. He wears a dark shirt and jeans, his dark hair perfectly styled. 
He's good-looking in a conventional sort of way, but not hot enough that I'd want to draw him. Hey. My eyes slide toward Minnie, wondering how quickly she's going to get my drink. I really want to start drinking. It was Kevin, right? I stick out my hand. He gives me a warm smile and shakes my hand. Good memory. Can I buy you a drink? She beat you to it, Minnie says, sliding my Cosmo across the bar. As I lean forward to grab it, Minnie rests her hand on my wrist. I pause in surprise, looking up at her. There's more than one way to get to number 10, doll. It doesn't have to be with a penis. She winks at me, stares pointedly at my chest, then goes back to mixing drinks. I gape at her, momentarily taken aback. When Minnie sees my expression, she just laughs. I have no idea if she's serious or not. Then I decide I don't care. I'm here to get drunk and sing tonight. That's it. Kevin is saying something in my ear. I turn to look at him, trying to get my bearings. What did you say? I said your next drink is on me, he says. Can I talk you into singing a song with me? I need at least one drink in me before I sing anything, I say. I've never done karaoke before. I'm pretty sure alcohol is required, right? His grin is broad. Hell yeah, it's required. You've really never done karaoke? I have a horrible voice, I say. You kind of do. Annika grins to show she's teasing, grabbing her mojito from Minnie. Kevin, Thomas bumps up against me, hard enough to push me a few steps to the side. Hey. I frown at him as Cosmopolitan slops all over my hand, but Thomas is too busy talking to Kevin to notice. Dude, Thomas says, remember our trip to Tijuana with Trevor? Fuck yeah dude, Kevin says, that was epic. I've never gotten that sick in my life. And that fucking dog. What dog, I ask. Are you talking about tequila? Yep, Kevin says. Trevor rescued a half-dead dog from the side of road in Tijuana on our trip. I thought all our asses were going to get thrown into prison for trying to smuggle her over the border. Mini round of tequila shots, Thomas calls, never taking his eyes from Kevin. There's something brittle in his expression. Kevin and I need to relive our road trip to Mexico. No tequila, Kevin says. That stuff is poison for me. Don't be a pussy, Thomas says. I'll pay for your Uber. Dom, you having shots with us? You buy it, I'll drink it, I say. Thomas gives Kevin a look, as though daring him to miss out on the fun. Fine, okay, Kevin says. I'll drink shots with you guys. Dom, you owe me a song for this. Two hours later, I belt out the last few lines of Love Shack on the karaoke stage. Kevin sings beside me, leaning into the microphone. He's been buzzing around me like a fly all night. At the bar, Thomas and Annika raise a toast to us before throwing back shots. Minnie has been keeping the drinks flowing for us. This is my third song of the night. Thomas just might be the one person on the planet who sings worse than I do, but that didn't stop him. He and Annika kept telling me that as long as I drank enough, I wouldn't be embarrassed. Turns out she was right. When the song ends, Kevin puts an arm around my shoulders and pulls me close. I can smell the tequila on his breath when he says, anyone ever tell you that you're fucking gorgeous? I'm not drunk enough to be okay with him hanging on me. I extricate myself from his arm. Fun song, I say. I'm getting another drink. If I was in a different mindset, Kevin would be a shoe-in for number 10 on the bad girl list. He's not a bad guy per se, but I'm still recovering from last night's disastrous date with Trevor. I'm not in the mood to swap spit, phone numbers, bodily fluids, or anything else with a guy tonight. Minnie, get us another round, Thomas calls as I rejoin him and Annika at the bar, with Kevin on my heels. No more tequila for me man, Kevin says. I'm going to switch to wine. Screw that, Thomas holds out a shot glass to him. These gorgeous ladies need us to show them a good time. Are you really going to back out now? If I was sober, I might suspect that Thomas is trying to make Kevin sick so I won't go home with him. But that's stupid. Thomas doesn't care who I go home with. He hasn't said one word about Trevor the whole time we've been hanging out. Who's up for a body shot? Annika asks. All hesitation leaves Kevin's face. Oh hell yes, he says. Count me in. He gives me a flirty smile. Thomas says, Minnie, we need a dish of salt. I whisper in Annika's ear, what's a body shot? You'll see. She winks at me. Thomas, take your shirt off. 
Thomas doesn't need to be asked twice. He whips off his shirt and drapes it on the back of his stool. He has the same lean, well-muscled body as Trevor. As I watch, he takes salt from the dish and smears it across his chest, then puts a lime wedge between his teeth. Annika throws back her shot, then licks the salt off Thomas's chest. He hoots in appreciation, as do several other people around us, including Kevin. Annika then plucks the lime from Thomas's mouth and sucks the juice. I may be drunk, but I'm pretty sure I see a gleam of hunger in Thomas's eyes as he watches my cousin. It's the first time I've seen him look at her that way. Maybe he's into Minnie and Annika now, after last night's almost threesome. Your turn. Annika hands me a shot glass. No, I don't think so. Annika cuts me off. Nope, you're doing this. You need to flush assholes out of your system and have some fun. Thomas shoots a frown in her direction. She gives him a sweet smile before turning to Kevin. You, she says. Shirt off now. Kevin peels off his shirt, wiggling his eyebrows at me in a suggestive manner. I smile a little in spite of myself. If I hadn't spent the last few days consumed with Trevor, I might find him cute. But as I take in his naked torso, my mind holds him up to Trevor. There's really no comparison. Kevin doesn't look bad, but the thunder from down under Grape Farmer outshines him by 10,000 miles. Instead of smearing the salt across his chest like Thomas had done, Kevin puts it along his lower stomach, right under his belly button. The smile he gives me is devilish. Screw it, I tell myself. My Grape Farmer isn't here. Why not have some innocent fun? I take the shot Annika offers me. There's a long moment when I wish for Trevor to walk through the door of Zeke's. I wish he would spin me into his arms and take me out of here, back to his place. I wish he was the one with his shirt off letting me lick salt off him. But Trevor isn't going to come. He doesn't want anything to do with me anymore. He made that perfectly clear. I need to move on. So I do. I drop to my knees in front of Kevin and lick my tongue across his stomach. His skin is salty and sticky with sweat. The front of his pants bulges but I ignore it. His eyes are lusty when I rise to my feet and take the lime out of his mouth. He pulls me close, running his hands around my waist and grazing the top of my ass. You are so fucking hot, he says into my ear. Do you want to go back to my place? We can take body shots off other, more interesting body parts. I break away and suck down the lime. More shots, I say. We need more alcohol. This time, Thomas convinces Minnie to let him lick salt from her arm. I let Kevin lick salt off my neck and take the lime from my mouth. I feel someone's eyes on me. I look up and find Thomas staring at me. I can't read his expression, but it looks like a mix of disapproval and resignation. What, I say to him? Nothing. He looks away, suddenly interested in his phone. I wonder if he's going to tell Trevor about this, then decide I don't care. Seriously, come back to my place, Kevin says, sidling up to me. I promise you'll have a great time. The room was slightly spinny. I'm drunk enough that I could pull this off. I could go home with Kevin and cross number 10 off the list. I should just do it and get it over with. Hey guys, I'm taking a short break from today's story to tell you about a brand new wine and romance short story that I just finished up. And the story is called Wedding Ditchers. Wedding Ditchers is the wedding story of Dominique and Trevor. So because this is a romance channel dedicated to happily ever afters, I don't think it's a spoiler to let you know that Dom and Trevor, yes, they are going to end up together. They are going to have their happily ever after. It's just gonna take a few more episodes to get there. <laughs> but I did write this short story all about their wedding day and it's super cute, it's super funny, it's also sexy, of course and you can get it for free over on my website. So head on over to mariematthew.com, click the free book button in the upper right-hand corner when you get to the homepage, and you can sign up for my author newsletter. And when you do that, this free short story is gonna be delivered right to your inbox. We have both the audiobook 
and the ebook. So you're gonna get links to download both. And of course, that also gives you access to my author newsletter. My newsletter is a really great way to keep in touch with me. I'm not super active on social media, except for the podcast and the YouTube show. So this is a really great way to just keep in touch with my latest projects, the um, behind the scenes stuff that's happening. So be sure to head over to my website, click the free book button in the upper right hand corner and get your free copy of Wedding Ditchers, the wedding story of Dominique and Trevor in the bad girl list. Thanks a lot. Chapter 29. The picture. Trevor. I'm lying in bed, nursing my second bottle of wine of the evening, when Tequila hops into the doorway leading into the living room. She looks at me and yips. What is it girl? I glance away from the Food Network reruns I've been watching for the last two hours. She yips again and hops into the living room. When I don't follow she hops back and barks again. She's hungry I realize. I forgot to feed her. Thoughts of Dom and Elle have been swimming in my head since last night. I've been in such a bad mood today, it's been hard to concentrate. First I drove to the wrong vineyard block. I didn't even realize I was in the wrong place until one of our workers came to find me. When I went to the store to get groceries after work, I forgot to bring them inside when I got home. When I finally remembered, all the ice cream I bought had melted in the back. And now apparently, I've forgotten to feed my poor dog. I take another swallow of wine from the bottle of Zinfandel, then leave it on the nightstand. In the kitchen, I grab Tequila's food bag from the pantry, only to realize it's empty. Shit. I'd forgotten to get her dog food at the store. I briefly considered just feeding her a leftover hamburger patty from the fridge, but rich food like that gives her the runs. I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night to tequila diarrhea. Shit. I'm too drunk to drive to the store now. Even if I can hold my alcohol, I'd never pass a breathalyzer test. My parents have two dogs. I decide to drive up to their house and borrow some dog food from them until I can get to the store tomorrow. I'm going to get you some food girl, I tell tequila. I'll be back in a few minutes. Her trail thumps her dark eyebrows lifting. I drive to the family house near the front of the property, the home where I was raised. The lights are on in the living room, telling me my parents are watching TV together. Not wanting to deal with them and the barrage of questions they will undoubtedly throw at me, I park at the back of the house and go in through the laundry room. If I'm lucky, I'll be in and out without them ever knowing I was there. As I guessed they're watching TV. I hear the familiar music of Survivor as my mom cries, Come on Susie. Don't let go. There's no way she can do it, Dad says. Bobby is going to win the immunity idol. Don't say that, Mom says. I hate Bobby. Hearing Survivor makes me think of Dom, which further sours my mood. I slip into the pantry and find the big bag of dog food. I'm in the middle of filling up a Ziploc when my phone pings with a text. I immediately wonder if it's Dom. She hadn't replied after I texted her this morning. Not that I really expected a response after what I said and did, but a part of me had hoped. It's not a message from Dom. It's a picture from Thomas. I tap on it, expecting a drunk selfie with him and his friends. What I am not expecting is a picture of Dominique with a shot glass in her hand, standing in Zeke's. Her hair has been slightly curled into loose waves that fall around her shoulders, her customary twin buns missing. It looks like she's wearing makeup. She looks gorgeous, but she doesn't look like her. Next to her with his clean-cut hair and million-dollar smile is fucking Kevin Durham. And he's licking salt off the side of Dom's neck as he prepares to take a tequila shot. It's fucking karaoke night. I'd broken my promise to take her, and Dom went without me. She's dressed up and looking drop-dead gorgeous with that asshat taking a body shot off her. The text from Thomas reads, Are you really going to let this happen? Before I can consider that my parents are sitting in the next room, I hurl my phone out of the pantry and across the kitchen. It thunks loudly against the wall. What the hell? Dad comes into the kitchen, flicking on the light to find me standing in the doorway of the pantry, seething with emotion. Trevor, what are you doing? Did you throw your phone? Before I can form a word, he bends down and picks it up. 
He stiffens when he sees the picture of Dom and Kevin. What's going on Trev? He asks. Nothing. I stalk across the room and snatch the phone out of his hand. Why is Dominique out with Kevin Durham? How should I know? Why don't you ask her? Dad's expression sharpens. I know that look. I'm about to be subjected to 20 questions, Tim Moretti style. And if Dad doesn't like the answers I give, it will be another 20 questions. I just stopped by for some dog food. I have to get back and feed tequila. I shove the phone into my pocket. Trevor. I gotta go dad. Obviously I'm not seeing Dom anymore. I grab the ziplock of dog food and stalk to the back door. Trevor, will you just wait a minute? I wanna talk to you. Talk about what? About Dom being with Kevin at Zeke's, apparently having a great time. What is there to say? Am I going to have to sit through another lecture about how I need to move on? About how I need to find someone else? Or maybe mom will call up one of her friends and get another blind date on the calendar for me. I don't want to talk about any of this. I don't want to talk to anyone about anything. I stomp out of the house and slam the door shut behind me, hoping dad will take the hint and leave me alone. It's not until I'm halfway back to my house that I'm able to process what just happened. What I just saw on my phone. Dom still has the bad girl list to get through. Apparently, that mission hasn't subsided just because I was a grade A dick to her last night and broke my promise to help her. What had I expected? For her world to stop spinning because Trevor Moretti had a panic attack and played the asshole card. All after kissing her and finger-fucking her under the stars. What the fuck did I think was going to happen? She doesn't need me for number 10 on her list. She never needed me for that, but a part of me knows she had been waiting for me, hoping I might step up. But I'd blown it. And not just once. I've never almost had sex with a woman so many times without sealing the deal. It would be comical if it wasn't so fucked up. I pull into the carport and throw my truck into park. Still angry, I stomp back into the bungalow. Tequila whines at the sight of me, her ears and tail going flat. Even her eyebrows flatten. She takes refuge under the nearest bar stool. Sorry girl, I say but my words come out as a growl and she cowers. Shit. I need to get myself together before I terrorize my poor dog. I pour the food into her bowl and head back toward my bedroom. If I give her some space she'll come out and eat. On my way back to my room I pause mid-step as I pass the fireplace mantle. The picture of me and Elle on graduation night seems to blare out at me. So does our engagement picture. I pick them up and take them into the bedroom. These pictures have been my anchors over the past two years. Anytime I felt sad or missed Elle, all I had to do was look at these photographs. For reasons I can't explain or understand, I don't want to see them. I take them off the mantle and slide them into my underwear drawer. After a moment's consideration, I take her picture off my nightstand and put that into the drawer too. As I close the dresser my anger fizzles out. All I feel is hollow and confused. I flop down into my chair and rub at my forehead. What is going on with me? A whine draws my attention. Tequila stands in the doorway, ears flat as her eyebrows move back and forth as she takes me in. I'm sorry girl, I say. Come here. She hops over to me. I scoop her up and settle her into my lap. Dad, I say in my tequila voice, you've been such a sad sorry grump since you lost Elle. And now that you've met Dom you're a sad asshole grump. You've got to get your shit together. You're right tequila. I rub her between her ears. The only problem is, I don't even know what my shit is. You're a lying sack of shit dad. She's right. I am a lying sack of shit. I know exactly what the problem is. I like Dom and I feel guilty about it. I've been miserable and lonely for the past two years. Hanging on to L is the only thing that's kept me sane. What's going to happen to me if I let her go? I don't know how to be with anyone except her. Tequila lets out a long sigh as she rests her head on my thigh. I stay with her in the chair, no closer to knowing what I want. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 10. This is the author commentary portion of the Marie Matthew Show. Cheers. I hope everyone is having a great day. I hope you enjoyed this installment of the story. 
Today we're drinking a super yummy Pinot Noir from a local Dry Creek Valley vineyard called Arista Winery. I shouldn't say vineyard because there's a difference between a winery and a vineyard. The winery is the operation that sells the wine. A vineyard is where they grow the grapes and wineries don't always own their vineyards. It just depends. So I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> the name of the wine we're drinking today is a Pinot Noir from Arista Winery. It's a Sonoma County wine and it's a 2019 vintage. This is a really, really cool boutique winery. They specialize in very high-end wines, small lot productions. Ooh, I had a chance to visit their winery a couple of years ago. And let me tell you, it's one of the prettiest wineries I've ever been to. They have a, a lot of these really big rock formations on the property. And so when they did their landscaping, they really worked with all of the natural materials that appeared on their property. And they installed all of these waterfalls that run between all of these natural boulders that occur on the property. And it's beautiful. I have a thing for running water. I absolutely love running water, creeks, waterfalls, streams, whatever. I love them all. So I really love this winery. So not only is their wine delicious, but it's really beautiful. And this Pinot Noir that I'm drinking today, it's really good. I do have to say the alcohol is high. Yeah, it's a 14.3% and I could tell it was high because I can't drink as much <laughs> when the alcohol is higher. It impacts my body pretty quickly. So I can only have like one small glass of this wine at a time, but it is delicious. The fruit is like super concentrated, super dense. The body in this wine is big enough that you could have it with a steak. It's just totally delicious. So I totally recommend trying Arista if you're ever in Dry Creek Valley. I'll be sure to include the link to the winery in the show notes if you want to check them out because they do have pictures of um, their beautiful landscaping and totally worth taking a look at. Today I'm going to talk about a movie that I just saw over the weekend and I'm going to start by saying it's an older movie. It's from 2009 so there are going to be spoilers because I feel like the movie it's been out for so long that I don't think it's um, taboo to have spoilers. It's a really unconventional love story. It's the love story between a man and his dog. And it's interesting, I've actually seen two dog love stories, I would say, in the past six months. So I think it's really interesting. I'm sure a lot of you have probably seen this movie before. 2009 is the year it came out and it's starring Richard Gere. And the movie is called Hachi, A Dog's Tale. It's this beautiful story about a man, he's coming home from work and he finds this Aikido puppy that had gotten shipped on an airplane from Japan and the tags had come off his crate and he randomly ended up on this train station, um, obviously not where he was supposed to end up. His crate fell on the ground, it cracked open and so here's this little beautiful little puppy <laughs> just wandering around and Richard Gere's character is a professor. He scoops up the dog, takes it home. He and this puppy fall madly in love with each other and the dog is super smart and every day when Richard Gere's character goes to the train station, the dog goes with him and at the end, then goes back home. And then at the end of the day, the dog hears the whistle, breaks out of the yard <laughs> and runs to the train station. So you get this, this beautiful love story of this man and his dog. Then tragedy strikes. Here's the spoiler part. Richard Gere's character dies, like maybe less than halfway through the story. And I, I was shocked. I have to tell you when I was watching, this was not what I thought was going to happen. I thought, I don't know, I thought there was going to be some other sort of, sort of healing or uh, emotional epiphany that was going to come 
from this dog being introduced into Richard's life. And I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of his character. They just call him the professor. So we'll just say the professor. So yeah, I thought there was gonna be some other emotional epiphany that came about from the love of this dog, but then he dies. <laughs> and then he's adopted by the professor's daughter and her family. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, so this is gonna be the dog's second chance romance, right? Because they had a little boy and so this dog is gonna fall in love with the professor's grandson and it's, it's just gonna be this, this beautiful story. And that is not what happened. <laughs> the dog ends up running away from the family that adopted him with this little boy. He goes back to the train station, basically makes himself a home underneath an abandoned freight car. And every day when the whistle blows, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> Every day when the whistle blows, the dog goes back and he waits. He waits in his same spot for the professor to come home. And of course the professor is gone. He doesn't come home. Everybody at the train station, of course, knows the dog. All the commuters know the dog. All the vendors know the dog. All the employees of the train station, like they all know why he's there. And they all start like taking care of him. They make sure he gets fed. They make sure he gets water. If he needs a vet appointment, like they take care of him. But the dog, basically, he doesn't leave the train station. He makes his home there and the dog lives at the train station for the next 10 years waiting for his beloved, his beloved human to come home. And so this beautiful dog waits for 10 years for his beloved human to come home. And of course the human never comes home. And that's the story. The story is about the never ending love that this dog has for his human and him never giving up hope that his love is gonna come home, that his human's gonna come home. It was funny the night I put it on, it was like a Friday night, everybody was tired, and I was like, oh, I found this dog movie, let's all watch this dog movie. And <laughs> the whole family is like upset. <laughs> As we're watching this movie, and my husband, he's a super sensitive guy, he's, he's like, oh my God, that is like the most beautiful story, but yet like the most tragic, saddest story at the same time, right? Like kind of like Romeo and Juliet, like, Oh my God, it's so beautiful. And yet like so tragic at the same time. And like, I was really moved by the story. And so I Googled it, I looked it up and it's actually based on a real dog. It's based on a real Akita dog from Japan, born in the 1920s. And he was adopted by a professor, a Japanese professor. And every day he met the professor at the train when he came home. And the professor died when the dog was like, a year and a half, two years old, and the dog spent the rest of his life going back to the train station every day to wait for his human. There's a statue for this dog. The dog's name was Hachiko, which is the Japanese word for eight, but they shorten it in the movie, in the American movie, the Hachi. So you can look up Hachi. So there's a statue of, a bronze statue of Hachi at the train station. When the dog died, they buried his ashes with his human. They saved his pelt, that's a little weird, but <laughs> they saved his pelt and it's in a museum. Like many cultures, Japan really celebrates, you know, loyalty, fidelity, that sort of thing. So this dog really embodied the spirit of an aspect of Japanese culture. That's really, really important. So yeah, it's amazing. It's a true story. <laughs> and then that made me cry again. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this beautiful dog like fell in love with this human and that was it. He never found love again. It made me think about Trevor. He's really stuck. He is like Hachi going back to the train station every day, waiting for his beloved. He can't break the cycle of grief. He can't, he can't break out of that cycle. Even when he meets Dom, it's like every time he almost breaks the cycle and like almost has that second chance, uh, he gets in his own way. I love the story of this dog. Like it's so beautiful that he loved his human so much, but then there's another part of me, maybe the more modern part of me that's like, 
wow, how sad that the dog never had a second chance at love, that, you know, he, he didn't get a chance to fall in love with the little boy of this, this family, the grandson of his human, and like just really get a second chance at love and that the rest of his life, he had a broken heart and he was waiting for a love to come back that was never gonna come. It made me think a lot about the story. And then of course it just made me reflect myself on my own patterns. Like where am I stuck in my life? Like where am I standing on this train station waiting for something? Or where am I repeating a pattern in my life that's not taking me anywhere, that's not getting me you know, where I wanna go. So yeah, this story, it just made me re reflect on so many things. And I thought, well, with it's so perfect with this episode, right? Where Trevor is so stuck, he's so stuck. Even when there's this girl he really likes and he knows he has a connection to, even when he knows she's at a bar with someone else and he has a chance to go intercede and jump in and make her his own, he can't, like he's frozen, he's paralyzed. You know, he's stuck on that train station. Yeah, I just thought it was the perfect thing to talk about because this story, like, it just stuck with me for days. And I even had a moment where I had to be like, okay, I'm not thinking, <laughs> I'm not thinking about the story anymore because it's just, it's too much. Like, it's too much. The emotion is too heavy. So I had to cut, you know, cut that cord. It's a beautiful yet tragic story. I just wanted to share it as I was asking myself this question, like, where am I stuck? Like, where am I getting up every day and going back to the train station? to wait for something that's never coming. It just, it made me reflect on my own life. So I just wanna throw that out there for you guys. Like, where are you stuck in your life? Where, where are you having a hard time pushing through and you know moving on to the, the next thing that's waiting for you in life? Yeah, I just thought it was worth asking because it had such a profound impact on me and so I wanted to share and maybe it would have profound impact on you as well. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening today. Feel free to drop your comments into the comment section on YouTube. Feel free to send me an email at romancingmarie at gmail.com. And as you may have heard in the, the commercial, in the mid-roll commercial, I have just launched an author newsletter. And so if you go to my website and you click on the button in the upper right-hand corner that says free book, you can get a free copy of Wedding Ditchers, which is Dominique and Trevor's wedding story. So I would, I would love for you to join me in my newsletter. It is going to be the best way to like, just stay in touch with all the things that I'm doing, all the, the, the updates on my writing, behind the scenes stories that I don't share here on the podcast. At this point, I'm not active on any other social media outlet besides YouTube and the podcast. So I really hope I see you over there. I hope you grab your free story because um, it's so cute. <laughs> it's so cute. As I said in the commercial, it is available in both ebook and audiobook. So you get both formats to choose from. So that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week. Take care. Bye.